Tonight's reading is on page 931. It's the second chapter of Micah. It's headed Human Plans and God's Plans. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning light they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. Therefore, the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. In that day, people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traitors. Therefore, you will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by lot. Do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. You descendants of Jacob, should it be said, does the Lord become impatient? Does he do such things? Do not my words do good to the one whose ways are upright? Lately, my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care, like men returning from battle. You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from their children forever. Get up, go away, for this is not your resting place, because it is defiled. It is ruined beyond all remedy." If a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for this people. I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a sheepfold, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. Uh, Olive, thank you very much. We're going to uh, keep Micah 2 open, page 931, if you just shut your Bibles. And uh, let's pray together now. Those are hard words, Father, I, I, uh, in some ways hard to take, in other ways hard to understand. Uh, and we pray that you might uh, help us to do both those things. We pray, Lord, you help us to take them on board, and we pray that you'd help us to understand them rightly. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Um, Right, time for a little spot of um, talking about gardening, which really isn't the most exciting thing to talk about when you're 15, I recognise that. But um, take the average dandelion. Here we are, dug up from uh, my lawn in front of the house just earlier on today. Here we are. 
Um, uh, it's a dandelion. Okay. Now, um, the thing about dandelions is they're a weed. A weed is a perfectly nice plant in the wrong place, as far as I can understand. And, uh, but this is a weed, okay? And uh, when it's in the lawn or in the flower bed, it's got to be dug up. Now, most people, when they're deciding, or no, um, let's not say that, a lot of folks, when they, uh, when, they big take, uh, when they dig up a dandelion, as I've done with this one, they leave something behind, they leave some of the root behind. So if you look at the end of the root, you'll see, if you, can, if you were anywhere near, you'd see that it's actually a little bit missing. What this means is that around about next May, it'll be back, okay? Because uh, if you're going to take out a dandelion altogether, you either use, got to use some kind of weed killer, or you've actually got to dig out the whole thing, not just this little green bit on top, but actually the whole root as well. And this evening, we're talking about rooting out sin, and sin is not just the sort of the green stuff that you see on the top, the stuff that was obvious. Sin actually has got a great big root underneath as well, which actually, for a little plant that size, goes down quite a long way, doesn't it? And uh, that's what we're thinking about tonight, rooting out sin. Now, I take it that you want to root out sin from your life. If you're a Christian, you'll want to root sin out from your life because you want to become more like Jesus uh, if you're not a Christian, I guess you could have a very different attitude to it. Uh, you could be thinking, well, it's not too bad, is it? Um, doesn't do anyone any harm. What's the problem with the white lie? You know, if we can get away with it, um, it's not going to harm anyone. Mucking about on Halloween and pretending to be a witch, what's the problem with that? Everyone does it. Now, that's a rather different attitude to uh, a Christian attitude to sin. Um, but anyway, what we want to do as Christian people, we want to root sin out of our lives and become more like Jesus. And if we're going to do it properly, we're going to get the roots out as well. We're going to get the whole lot out. Okay? Um, and uh, um, I'm not suggesting necessarily that dandelions are evil and sinful, but they might well be. I think they could be. But we get the picture. So uh, Micah chapter 2. Micah chapter 2. Uh, God's coming judgment on his people because of their rebellion against him, because of their sinfulness. Um, but I want to look at it from a slightly different angle and see how this chapter reveals to us just the depths of human sinfulness. Because when we understand that, then it seems to me if we understand the depths of it, if we understand sin at a kind of a bit of a deeper level than perhaps we would normally do, then it's going to help us and motivate us uh, more greatly to try and get this out of our lives with God's help. So, uh, first of all, um, we're thinking about rooting out sin. And the first thing uh, is to be thinking about the root. That's verses 1 to 11. And we're going to see how deeply sin affects our lives. And it's not just the things we do, it's uh, uh, in terms of, you know, the things we think and the things we say and things we do. It actually goes deeper than that. It's like a disease. It really is like a disease. Uh, take, for instance, uh, flu. You know, you have the symptoms, you have the aches and the pains and the thought, sore throat and the blocked up nose and the cough, coughing ringland and zero energy and so on. Those are, the, uh, those are the symptoms. Underneath, you know that there's a virus rushing around your body and causing those things. And so far with flu, uh, you go and get your, your, your flu remedy from the chemist, and it's just treating the symptoms. Because uh, you can, while you can have a flu jab, which should help um, beforehand, but when you get the flu, there's no antiviral for it yet. Now, when it comes to our sinfulness, there is a total solution. 
There is uh, uh, something here uh, which will uh, hit not just the symptoms, but will take out the roots as well. It's not going to be just taking out the green stuff that you see on the surface, but we actually have a solution to our sinfulness which will take out the root as well. Now, we need to remember too, uh, then in Micah chapter 2, in Micah's day, God hated sin and he judged it. So you look at verse, look at verse 3, for instance. I'm planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. And we need to remember that in Micah's day, God hated sin and he judged it in time, then. There was a great calamity for them heading their way. And actually, it is the same God today. The trouble is, we tend to think, oh, a great calamity is happening. It couldn't possibly be God judging sinfulness. It's all going to happen at the last day. But I want to suggest to you, it might actually happen in time as well. We certainly shouldn't ignore that possibility. So, for instance, that was the Boxing Day Tsunami. Was it in 2004? That was the, uh, um, what happened after the 16th of October hurricane to hit the, uh, the south of England, October the 16th in 1987. Now, we can't say for sure that they were God's judgment in the same way that Micah was speaking with uh, prophetic authority and saying this will happen uh, and these things are going to happen. Now, we can't say for sure that those were, but equally... We can't say for sure that they weren't. And we must not, as biblical Christians, discount the possibility, hard though that might be. So let's dig down. And let's root out sin in our lives. Because it's not just the bad stuff people do. Sin is the bad thinking. It's the bad heart. It's the bad stuff underneath. It's the root. So we're going to dig down and we're going to have a think and see that when, in terms of rooting out sin, we're thinking about the root. And actually that involves, first of all, bad thinking. Look at verse 1. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light, they carry it out because it's in their power to do it. Now look at the bad thinking there. There's the plotting and planning on the one hand, but there's also, you see the thinking that's just underneath there? You see the thinking that says, well, if I can, I will. It's the kind of thinking that says, well, you know, if I can seal some fireworks from Waitrose, then what's the harm? I will do that. They've got plenty of money, obviously, in Waitrose. If I can get away with it, I will. If they overcharge me, I'll walk out. I'll be ten quid better off. Not my fault, is it? It's their fault. So I'll go on and do it. If I can drive 80 all the way to Gatwick and not get caught, then I will. Does that make it right? Just because you can do something doesn't make it right. And here are the people, as you can see very clearly in verse 1, they're plotting and planning. They're plotting and planning, well, wrongdoing. They know they can do it, but there's no thought of, well, should I be involved in this? Should I be doing this? And that number of times through here, there are things which actually ought to stop and make us think. And we ought to be asking ourselves the question, well, actually, are we ever like that? Am I like that? Sometimes it's good to just stop and ask yourself, should I be doing this? Just because I can, it doesn't necessarily make it right. And then there's more bad thinking. Go on to verse 7, for instance. You descendants of Jacob, should it be said, does the Lord become impatient? Does he do such things? 
And uh, uh, they're saying God doesn't judge. He's nice. He likes us. He won't judge us, not us. These bad things, you know, Micah, you're saying all these bad things are going to happen. Won't happen to us. Bad thinking. So in verse 7, does the Lord become impatient? No. Does he do such things? Of course he won't. Of course he won't. And Micah says, guys, you're wrong. You're wrong. Actually, in the end, God's patience does run out. You might be God's special people, but he's saying, actually, he's pointing the finger. Actually, there will come a day in time. In the end, God judges. And that's bad thinking about God. And bad thinking about God and his nature and what he's like and what he's likely to do actually makes sin multiply. Makes us sin more. Because sin is in our minds. Sin is in our thinking. You know, we can't actually think straight. Our thinking is all warped and distorted because of our, our human sinfulness. Human logic is warped. Don't trust those who say, well, that's not logical. You can't possibly believe that. Because actually, the whole logic, the whole way our minds work has been infected with this sin disease. So when you get these aggressive atheists like Dawkins and whatnot, just remember they're sinners. Their minds are infected. They can't think straight, just like the rest of us. Bad thinking. But we also see here uh, bad hearts. Bad hearts. Look at the selfish hearts. Look at verse 2 or verse 8 or verse 9. Just look at verse 2. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes and rob them of their inheritance. The inheritance he's talking here is that inheritance from Joshua where the land was divided out and the people of God were given their particular part of the promised land. And now it's been defrauded. That was their inheritance. That was what God had given them. And now it's being taken away by, um, by these people who have the ability to do that. And you can see the proud hearts in verse 3 there. Um, and, it says, says, and he says, you will no walk, longer walk proudly. It will be a time of calamity. But they're obviously walking proudly at the moment. So uh, you see this inheritance and you see what's going on there. Um, the fields there, they were their livelihoods. Verse 2 happens and you make people homeless. And destitute. And often the only solution if you're in that particular situation would be to sell yourself into slavery. This is economic violence. And in the end, you know, it's just all about me, isn't it? It's just feathering my nest at the very great expense of other people's nests. And I guess it is, I think, perhaps just worth worth asking ourselves from time to time. How selfish am I? Lord, show me my heart. You know, sometimes um, if you say, go and have a a cup of coffee with an older, uh, more godly person, and then when you leave, you realize they've found out lots about you, but they've actually spoken very little about themselves. And I guess that's a thermometer, isn't it? They're worth using on our own life from time to time. If we, talk, if we spend our whole life and our whole friendships just, um, just talking about ourselves, that's not a great sign. We have bad hearts, don't we? We also have proud hearts. I mentioned verse 3 there, walking proudly. And this judgment uh, planned against proud hearts. And because, because people have proud hearts and selfish hearts... 
It means that our confidence is in the wrong place. Look at verse 6. Do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. And they have a misplaced confidence there. They're confident that they're going to be all right. Just in the paper yesterday, I was reading about Victoria Sillier. And uh, on the 5th of April, 2015... Victoria Sillier took a parachute jump over Salisbury Plain. She was an experienced parachutist. Still is. All was going well until she pulled the ripcord at 3,000 feet. It didn't open properly. She hit the ground, travelling rather too quickly. Thankfully, it was a ploughed field which uh, cushioned the impact somewhat, but she still had a number of broken ribs. She broke her collarbone, she broke her leg, and she had severe spinal injuries as well. She survived, though, quite remarkably. And it turns out the victorious husband, Emil, had interfered with a parachute, and he's currently on trial for attempted murder of his wife. who had a misplaced confidence that day in her pack. Now, God's people here have a terribly misplaced confidence. They're confident in themselves, in their arrogant hearts, and it's all going to go horribly wrong. Verse 4, in that day people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with this mournful song. We're utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traitors. That's probably the Assyrians coming in in 701 uh, BC. You see the bad hearts, the selfish and the proud hearts. And the root of sin is not just things we do. It is our hearts, isn't it? It was uh, G.K. Chesterton said, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And even Bertrand Russell, not known for his personal faith, but he said this, it is in our hearts that the evil lies, and from our hearts that it must be plucked. The prophet Jeremiah, coming, what, 150, 200 years after Micah, Uh, He wrote this, chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I hope you're in the habit of learning verses from the Bible. That would be a good one. When I learned that, it was uh, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. Who can understand it? You see, it's not just... People like Jimmy Savile and Thomas Mayer. He's the guy who murdered Joe Cox. It's your heart and mine. We need heart surgery. Bad thinking. Bad hearts. And third, bad souls. Now, we need to understand this because in verse 4 here, there's no recognition of God. There's no remembering of God's people. And in verse 10, there is a terrible verdict. He says, get up, go away, for this is not your resting place. 
because it is defiled, it is ruined beyond all remedy. He's saying to these people, get up and go away. Now, um, before, just before we came here, we had uh, a lovely yellow Labrador called Bisley. And, uh, um, uh, and one of the things we'd trained him to do was, uh, if he came into my study and I had some people there who didn't like dogs, I would say to him, go away. So he'd come into the room, I'd say, go away, just say it once. And he'd turn around and his head would go down, his tail between, would go down between his legs and he'd kind of go out looking as if he was about to cry. And, uh, um, and you see what happens here? The Lord sentences these, his former people, with the same words that they've used to oust their former victims from their inheritance. Go away. Resting place there in verse 10. This is, uh, it says, he says, this is not your resting place. That's God's judgment on them. It carries a spiritual notion of well-being. This is not your place of well-being. And defiled means ritually unclean, abhorrent to God. So it must be removed from the Lord's presence. And there is no remedy, look at the end of the verse there, for the judgment of God. This is a soul issue. This is an eternity issue. The depth of sin in the bad thinking, in the bad hearts, in the bad souls. It means that the place, the promised land, and it means that the people together are ruined and beyond remedy. And one day... Jesus will return, and for those whose root of their being, whose thinking, whose hearts and souls are not lined up with God, there will be judgment, final and horrific, and they will be ruined and beyond all remedy. It's grim, isn't it? Utterly grim. But there is a brighter future. And Micah chapter 2 ends with these stunning two verses, 11 and 12, which are talking about the rescue. And uh, um, I've been praying that actually we would, we would walk out this evening having been horrified, really, at verses 1 to 11, but actually rejoicing in verses 12 to 13, and that these would dominate our thinking, because this is absolutely brilliant. Look at verse 12. It's probably thinking about the Assyrian siege of Jerusalem in 701 BC. Um, because when it says they're throng with, look at the end of verse 12, the place will throng with people. It's probably better translated distraught by reason of people so it's probably the place will be distraught by reason of people in other words it probably means that jerusalem will be distraught by re by reason of the besieging army of sennacherib and the assyrians just outside the walls there besieging jerusalem and inside the people will be distraught but verse 13 there's going to be a rescue and God promises to rescue a remnant, a handful, 
who did follow God. And you look in verses 12 and 13 as a shepherd and a rescuer and a ruler and a Lord. Remind you of someone? A shepherd, a rescuer, a ruler, and a lord. Now, this is talking about this remarkable, extraordinary, fantastic, wonderful rescue in 701 BC from the armies of Sennacherib. But it's also talking, it's like when you look at a great big view, you can see some stuff in the foreground, you can see some stuff in the uh, the middle ground, and then you can see some stuff in the more distant future. And so this has got a multiple fulfillment. You've got the one in, in 701, which was, uh, <coughs> what, say 50 years hence or whatever. Um, but actually, it's talking about a second fulfillment as well, which breaks the chains. It breaks the chains of bad thinking and bad hearts and bad souls. It breaks the chains of sin and hell. And verse 12 here talks about, first of all, a shepherd. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, John 10, the one who's going to gather and protect and feed his people, who's going to nurture and care for them and cherish them forever, the one who's going to root out this problem of our sin, who's going to pull it out by the roots, every single bit, And actually, when we get to heaven, the whole thing will be destroyed and will not be growing again. The 100% perfect solution to human sinfulness. The one who will lead us and nurture us in this new life, growing more like him each and every day. Christians have a shepherd, a good shepherd. He's also our rescuer who breaks open the way goes up before us. Look at verse 13 there. And we know that in his death, Jesus broke open the way, the way to heaven. He said in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. He is the way back to God. He is our rescuer through his sin-bearing death. Now, some weed killers, one way of uh, um, getting rid of dandelions is you can use weed killer and uh, it looks like this has been weed killed, doesn't it really? <laughs> and, uh, um, and then the, uh, the green stuff gradually withers and so on. But next season, or possibly a couple of weeks' time, it's back. But then there are other weed killers which will actually take it out altogether and it won't come back. The systemic ones, isn't it? Is that what it's called? And uh, I love using those, path clear and so on, because uh, it just wipes it out, whops it. It's great. Now, the effectiveness of Jesus' death and resurrection is like those systemic weed killers. Takes out the roots, works forever, rescues us from the everlasting rule of sin and death in our lives. Jesus, a great rescuer who's opened up the way back to God. James Hannington, just before he died, this is one of the little biographies that we have. If you want to borrow these, they're, they're just in the vestry there. And, uh, um, and this is what he said just before he died. Tell the king, this is King Wanza in Uganda, tell the king that I die for Uganda. I have bought this road with my life. I have bought this road with my life. He served God. We're named after him. And he found and opened up that road from Mombasa uh, up through the Maasai country, the dangerous warriors, into uh, 
eastern Uganda, just across the uh, where the Nile comes out of Lake Victoria there. He opened up that road by his life, by his death. And Jesus has opened up the road to heaven and eternal life by his life, by his death, our great rescuer and our king, our king, our ruler. Look at verse 13 at the end of, uh, or middle of verse 13. We'll break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. Our king, our ruler, the one who has the right to rule our lives, to show us, as he's given us this example of how to live and to uh, encourage us to live for him. Jesus, our king. I could say heaps about that. Our king. My king. Your king. Our personal king. But there's more, there's even more, because it talks here uh, about him being our Lord. Our Lord. Now, at the beginning of verse 13, it says, The one, with a capital O, who breaks open the way will go up before them. And it talks at the end there about the Lord. That is Yahweh. That is the name for God, okay? Um, The one you see in capitals in your Bibles, that's what it means there. And uh, uh, God... In the flesh, Jesus, God in the flesh, come to this earth to live with his people. We're dealing with God here. God in the flesh as our shepherd, as our rescuer, as our ruler, as our Lord, who came to this earth to be our saviour for all eternity, dealing with our bad thinking, our bad hearts and our bad souls, dealing with human sin forever, taking out the root, every last bit of it, enabling that to happen. What a wonderful, wonderful service rooting out our sin and giving us life and hope forever. I want to read uh, now and just finish with this. Something I found about Jesus, the one who's rooted out our sin and is our shepherd, our rescuer, our ruler and our Lord and much, much more. Listen to this. Christ for sickness, Christ for health, Christ for poverty, Christ for wealth, Christ for joy, Christ for sorrow, Christ today and Christ tomorrow, Christ my life and Christ my light, Christ for morning, noon and night, Christ when all around gives way, Christ my everlasting stay. Christ my rest and Christ my food. Christ above my highest good. Christ my well-beloved friend. Christ my pleasure without end. Christ my saviour. Christ my Lord. Christ my portion. Christ my God. Christ my shepherd. I his sheep. Christ himself my soul to keep. Christ my leader. Christ my peace. Christ hath wrought my soul's release. Christ my righteousness divine. Christ for me, for he is mine. Christ my wisdom. 
Christ my meat, Christ my stores, my wandering feet, Christ my advocate and priest, Christ who ne'er forgets the least, Christ my teacher, Christ my guide, Christ my rock, in Christ I hide. Christ the ever-living bread, Christ his precious, precious blood hath shed. Christ hath brought me nigh to God, Christ the everlasting word. Christ my master, Christ my head, Christ who for my sins hath bled. Christ my glory, Christ my crown, Christ the plant of great renown. Christ my comforter on high. Christ, my hope, draws ever nigh. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that although tonight we've looked a lot of our hearts, we want to finish thinking of you. And Lord, thank you that you are our shepherd, our rescuer, our ruler, our Lord. You are so precious to us. You are wonderful. Lord, we pray that understanding our hearts, our minds, our souls, would just take us closer to you in love and adoration and respect and praise and worship. For your name's sake. Amen.